Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. As a player, he was simply known as the king. Flicked it there for Dalglish. Oh, Dalglish! And a goal! Dalglish! The great goals, left foot, right foot, curling them in top corners. He was everything I wanted to be, a skillful goal scorer and somebody who could make things happen and put smiles on the fans' faces. He was um, he was a world-class footballer. There's Kenny Dalglish in there. Oh, what a goal! Oh, yes! That does it! 2 nothing for Scotland. His vision, his touch... It was just amazing. He was three steps ahead of other players on the pitch. And that's how good Kenny Dalglish was. He's got it! That's the goal that Kenny Dalglish wanted. He's made history. As a manager, he achieved greatness. The player-manager scores the goal that may edge Liverpool nearer to their 16th championship. He's such a strong personality that he may not have been called the manager before he was the manager, but he was one of the voices that you listen for. Dalglish's third championship in only five years as manager. The word legends used far too often in football, but there are certain people that transcend not just a club, but the sport as well, and I think Kenny's certainly that. What a season and what a finish to it. Blackburn Rovers are the champions. Kenny is king again. And as a man, he showed amazing courage, dignity and leadership in the aftermath of the Hillsborough tragedy, ensuring that none of the victims' families walked alone. It doesn't matter what what any of us went through or anybody else other than the families. I mean, you, you can't even begin, I don't think, to, to measure what the families have gone through, the dignity that they've shown and the respect that they have from people now. There was a generation of people who, who wouldn't have known about this. As a player, you won 10 trophies with Chelsea. 19 major pieces of silverware with Liverpool, including a hat-trick of European Cups. And the striker won over 100 caps for Scotland, appearing in three World Cup tournaments. As a manager, his honours included all three domestic trophies with the Reds, and he turned Blackburn Rovers from the second-tier side into Premier League champions. To me... He was my first hero. Every kid in my school wanted to be Kenny Douglas, even the Evertonians. He could do things on a football pitch that I'd never seen before. He could spin on a sixpence and bang it into the top corner. He could dink it over a keeper with a little back heel. Every single kid at every game when I played just wanted to grab that number seven shirt. To me, He was simply the king. 
I'm Stephen Green, and the next hour here on Talk Sport, we'll shine a light on the extraordinary life of Kenny Daglish in our special program, The King, a tribute to Kenny Daglish. Outside the Shankly Gates, I heard a carbite calling. You lay from his coaches, teammates, Footballers who idolise Kenny and friends who've marvelled at his great character. Kenny was born in Glasgow in 1951, very close to Ibrox, and like his father before him, he became a Rangers supporter. As a schoolboy, Kenny attracted interest from several clubs, and at the age of 15, he went for a trial at Liverpool and was watched by the great Bill Shankly. Shanks was was really good to us, and they took us back to the, wasn't it the hotel, it was the YMCA. <laughs> After the game, he said, we'd like to sign you, and we'll send the Scottish representative up to your house. And they wanted us to go, but I was I said, I'm too young to come away from home, so I stayed up in Glasgow and, and played for another year, got a couple of jobs. Another decade would pass before Liverpool got there, man. But back in Glasgow... It was Celtic who moved first, and after training with the club for two years, Kenny signed professional forms with the Hoops. Slightly disappointed that Rangers hadn't really shown any interest. It was 1967, and a very successful year for Celtic. C-L-T, I see Celtic, see me, I see Celtic on the ball. And the whistle is going at Celtic. The late great Billy McNeil captained the Lisbon Lions to that stunning victory over Inter Milan in the European Cup final. But even he had noticed the precocious talents of Kenny Daglish in the reserves. I remember one pre-season, um, suddenly this young fella uh, came in with the rest of a group of youngsters, um, all talented, lots of real talented players, but this one stood out, fantastic group of, of players. I mean, I, I'm saying that it was obvious that you could see Kenny was going to be a real star, but that was obvious about Danny McGrain, David Hay, George Connolly. Lou McCarry, Paul Wilson, they were super players, they really were. It's as talented a group of youngsters as I've ever seen. Under the watchful eye of the legendary manager Jock Steen, that Celtic reserve side also enjoyed great success. Kenny and his teammates were dubbed the Quality Street Gang, having won every competition they entered. Kenny played alongside midfielder Lou McCarry. The pair would go on to play for Scotland together, but as young pros, McCarry realised they still had a lot to learn. I've got to say, we both had, when I look back now, big flaws in our game. Uh, Kenny's case, there was it, it wasn't the Kenny Douglas we all saw later, which was a prolific goal scorer, because goal scoring wasn't one of his, I would say, major strengths, believe it or not. Um, he was OK at doing that. But Jock, I remember Jock used to give him a bag of balls and send him with this big bag of balls out to 
Celtic Park on the main pitch and uh, tell them to sh- keep striking balls from all angles into the back of the net, then go and pick the balls up, go and do the same again. After a year-long loan in men's football at Cumbernauld United, where Kenny scored 37 goals, the forward was pushing for a first-team place. Tagli struggled to make a real impact on the senior side straight away. And it wasn't until the 1971-72 season when he scored 29 goals to help Celtic claim their 7th league title in a row and win the Scottish Cup that Kenny began to flourish. One abiding memory from the early years of his career was being given a responsibility to take a penalty against arch-rivals Rangers, the team he'd supported as a boy. Billy McNeil ran up, he says, you take it. I says, get lost. He said, no, you, you've got to take it. I said, what? I said, what were you asking me to take it for? He said, because, he said, um, you took me for the reserves and you scored, like, for the reserves with the penalty. I said, oh, there's no difference, is there? <laughs> <laughs> 80,000 at the Celtic end, all the photographers running behind the goals. So he said, no, no, you take it. I went, oh, thanks very much. So I knew the Rangers goalkeeper, obviously, every time there's a penalty taken, like Peter McCloy always, yeah. if it's a right-footed take it he always went to his right in the games I saw anyway so when when I put it down I went oh please I looked I went oh and I was shaking was, somebody said he had the composure to tie his boots it wasn't a composure by the way <laughs> it was buying so, you some time uh, so anyway that, when I, I obviously scored with it silverware kept coming for Celtic with another Scottish League and Cup double in 1974 Talk Sports Alan Brazil grew up in Glasgow supporting Celtic and recalls Daglish's growing influence on the side Well Celtic played fantastic football they liked to knock it about the Celtic way and um, you know in those days uh, it was fierce rivalry you know Rangers had a great spell of winning a lot and then Celtic come on and become the sort of, you know, the, the best team in Scotland. And uh, Kenny was a massive part of that, you know. But when what was so beautiful about Kenny Douglas was when he got the ball around the box, you, you knew that something was going to happen because his vision, Kenny's vision was astonishing. He would, he would make, he'd make runs and then he'd know as the ball was coming to him, was it going to take a touch or was it going to first time into space or someone running off him? He was he, his vision, his touch, and his his quick thought was it was just amazing. He was sometimes people used to say he's three steps ahead of other players on the pitch, and that's how good Kenny Dalglish was. He scored some great goals as well. Crikey, you know he was he was uh, he was an all-round fantastic. But he weren't blessed with brilliant speed, but I've seen him score headers. I've seen him score right foot, left foot, but the goals he made as well made him very very special indeed. Celtic teammate Lou McCarry believes it was the football education given to Kenny by Jock Steen that really shaped his life in football. He was the secret to Dalglish and McCarry's career. It's, just, it's as simple as that. Had he not been around, we wouldn't 
I don't think either of us would have got to where we got to. And it was because of him and his demands, which were fitness, dedication. There was no slacking. There was no getting away with things. Even, you know, at a young age, you, you had to be focused on your job. All those days of hard training, both of us had to go through the training ground and in the afternoons when we trained in the afternoons as well. It paid off for us. Kenny had not forgotten Liverpool, and as the 70s wore on, he was inexorably drawn towards returning to Merseyside, but this time on a permanent basis. Daglish had warned Jockstein of his desire to move, and the Celtic boss tried every trick in the book to keep him at Parkhead. Determined not to take no for an answer, and with his father's words, life isn't a rehearsal, firmly planted in his mind, Daglish won the Battle of Wills and moved to Liverpool. I knew what the club was all about. We just watched a documentary on them. And when you looked at it, you thought, that, that's so much like Celtic. The city seems so much like Glasgow. If they ever came back in, then I think that would be my preferred choice. And I never knew it, wasn't it? Like, somebody phoned me up and bent the ear and said he'd love to come to Liverpool or anything like that. I said to Big Jock, I said, it's no rehearsal, by the way. Mm. I'm not going to come back in later years and be able to play football. I said, if, if I'm going to come, I said, I want to go try my luck in England. I said, if if it, if it doesn't work, then fine. It doesn't work. It's my, it's my fault. But I had nothing nothing against the way mm. Celtic looked after us. It wasn't financial. It wasn't anything. It's just you, you want to play the, the best you can. After scoring a staggering 167 goals in 320 games for the boys, Kenny left Celtic. Alan Brazil and his fellow Celtic fans were heartbroken. But when Kenny left, yeah, there was a lot of bad feeling as well, because, you know, up there, Celtic the best team in the world, bar none. And to go and take the number seven shot at Liverpool, but in those days, it was all about the old firm. And I think maybe Kenny wanted to fulfil. He was playing in Europe every year with Celtic, but I think he just, the lure of going to Liverpool, the cop, you know, that, that competitive edge playing against Man United, the big uh, London boys... I just think it was too much for him, to be honest. You're listening to a special programme here on TalkSport. The King, a tribute to Kenny Daglish. Presented by me, Stephen Gray. We've been hearing how Kenny became a sensational player for Celtic, scoring a goal every other game and winning four league titles and four Scottish FA Cups. Even greater success was to follow at Liverpool. But first, he had to prove himself in an already top-class side. So, Philip Neal has the chance to make sure that the European Cup comes back to Britain. Neal against tonight. And with such simplicity, the European Cup surely is won. Liverpool had just become the third British side to win the European Cup in a victory over Borussia Mönchengladbach in Rome. The great Liverpool boss, Bill Shankly, had handed over the manager's baton to his number two, Bob Paisley. And Daglish was replacing Kevin Keegan, who, in his time at Liverpool, had become the football superstar of the 1970s. I didn't care who I was replacing. Kevin was fantastic for Liverpool, but at the end of the day, he decided he wanted to go. They accepted a fee, he went, I'm coming in, I'm going to play. If I'm garbage, I'm garbage, but I'll, I'll give the same effort as Kevin gave. 
And I, I wasn't there to replace Kevin. Fellow Scots, the wonderful Alan Hansen and the legendary Graeme Souness also joined them at Anfield that season. But it was Daglish who made the biggest impact. Here's lifelong Liverpool supporter and actor David Morrissey. He was taking over from a real hero in Kevin Keegan. Keegan had led the line for us for many years with the Shankly regime. He was, you know, he was a, an amazing player. So Kenny coming into the side, there was a big, you know, big shoes to fill. But he immediately, his passion for the game, his, the way he battled for everything, but also his skill, the, my, you know, the abiding image of Kenny Douglas. And here in my house, I have a picture of him on my wall as you walk in, is, uh, you know, with his back to goal, getting the ball, somebody, a defender on his back, and he just manages to turn that defender. Did that nicely. Douglas! The goals began to flow straight away. Kenny scored on his Anfield debut and again in the European Super Cup as Liverpool thrashed Kevin Keegan's new side Hamburg 7-1 on aggregate. Roy Evans was on the coaching staff at Liverpool during Daglish's time as a player and a manager and was amazed by his ability and vision. He was, became a, a massive asset. He knew positions to get in. Physically he wasn't the, the quickest but... But he was a great reader of the game and, and somebody made a run then he could see his passing ability was always top class. And of course, uh, in and around the box, um, he created his own chances a lot of times um, and created a lot for, for other players. But uh, as I said, overall, he was a, a, a real classy all-round player. I would say that, that that's what I'd say about Kenny. The Scotsman crowned his first Liverpool season in the best way possible. He scored the winner at Wembley in the 1978 European Cup final against Bruges. From that moment, he became many a Liverpool fan's idol, including David Morrissey. And my favourite goal of his, of which there are many, of course, was in uh, in the European Cup final at Wembley against Bruges when he just chipped the goalkeeper. And I just remember him being in the space thinking he's going to blast this. And actually, he's just this delicate touch over the goalkeeper who sort of commits himself. And it's a wonderful... And I loved his celebrations as well. I loved, how you know, just his smile, really, and how much joy he had in scoring goals. That was my big memory of him. Back-to-back league titles followed and another victory in the European Cup in 1981 kept Liverpool at the very top and Kenny was very much central to all of their success. His teammate and friend, Mark Lawrenson. As far as I'm concerned, he was the best player I'd ever, ever played with and I played with some outstanding ones. He was, I think sometimes, every 10, 15 or 20 years a player comes along and there's a little bit of kind of genius about them and that was him. He's, he couldn't run. He said he had he has a massive bum and he couldn't head it and he was a genius. And he really seriously was. And he he made his rush and they just had this relationship, um, telepathic, although on a bad day it was telepathetic. But, you know, it, it was frightening. And didn't wear shin pads, got kicked to death, especially in those days as well, and just got on and got up with it. He hardly ever, ever got injured. And his standard of performance was like nine and a half out of ten every single game. 
Liverpool's domination of the English First Division continued into the mid-1980s with four league titles in a row. Daglish was made PFA Player of the Year in 1983 and Lawrenson believes it was his teammates' obsession with winning at Liverpool that drove the team on. His influence on the pitch was, was absolutely outstanding. Um, he, he was probably the, the best player in Europe for, for many, many years and, and he had such a fantastic footballing brain um, and because of his state of his high performance, he brought everybody else up with him. It was about hard work, but it was about enjoying yourself, but it was all about winning and he had to win at absolutely everything and I think when you get a player like that, a player manager like that, it really does give everybody else this kind of thing which is, wow, come on. Come on, you know, you know what he's like, that fella. We, we've got to win, we've got to win, we've got to win. And that's just the way it was. For me, he was the best ever Liverpool player. And a lot of people say, Stevie G, Stevie G. I get that a little bit. But this fella was just like kind of 5% better. It was winning, winning, winning. And it really did rub off on everybody. Daglish's international career with Scotland had started in 1971 and he would go on to play in three World Cups and make 102 appearances for Scotland, scoring 30 goals. Kenny Daglish in there, oh what a goal! Oh yes! That does it! No wonder he turns to the supporters! Three minutes left, 2-0 for Scotland. Tunis, Jordan and Ed Daglish and it's one each! Just the boost! Kenny is still Scotland's all-time leading goalscorer alongside Dennis Law. Daglish scored the goal that took the Tartan Army to the 1978 World Cup final in Argentina and was on the score sheet in that famous 3-2 victory against the Dutch at the tournament. But as his international teammate Alan Brazil explained, Kenny was heavily criticised by a lot of the Scottish fans. Some some of the it's amazing. Some of the Rangers supporters thought he was brilliant for Celtic, but not for Scotland. But if you, you saw his goal against Belgium when he cut inside on his left foot and bent one, uh, it was just what a goal that was. But that wasn't a fluke. Kenny used to do that all the time. He was always taking the Mickey, always, you know. But he could do that because you know he'd been there and done it. But he was he he, he wasn't short of a few words. He was fantastic. He, he and he also. You know, if you were having, if if it wasn't going your way, it it g you up. You know, don't worry, come on, come on, come on, and it was great. It was really great to play with. Alan played alongside Kenny in the 1982 World Cup in Spain, and again, it was so near yet so far for Scotland. We always seemed to blow it, and then come back in fantastic style and just failed, and it was heartbreaking that we just couldn't go that step further. Kenny kept playing for the Tartan Army for 15 years. But he did feel that Scotland didn't fulfil their potential in major tournaments by not progressing to the knockout stages. It's an anomaly that nobody can ever answer. 
why does Scotland play better against the better side? Don't know. And then if we're playing in it, we don't know either. Um, then I don't know if there is an answer. But the preparation for the the lesser teams is equally as hard and as diligent as for it is for the better teams. I don't fully understand it myself. Back in Anfield, Liverpool reached two European Cup finals in consecutive seasons. In May 1984, they were back in Italy. Liverpool are European champions! What joy! Alan Kennedy's penalty goal leaves Rome distraught and Merseyside jubilant. Kenny picked up his third European Cup winner's medal in Rome. But a season later against Juventus in the final in Brussels, disaster struck. Hooliganism has struck again, and I'm afraid the scenes are as bad as anything we've seen. The Heysel Stadium has been a sickening and bewildering sight. As a result, there is for certain serious injury when a wall collapsed, and maybe worse. I've seen at least two stretchers carried away, and the stretchers were covered from head to foot. Thirty-nine people died and six hundred were injured when fans were crushed against the wall that collapsed at the Heisel Stadium. The game was played and Juventus won 1-0. But as Kenny Daglish explained, none of the players were focused on the game. I think there's an awful lot of people left the ground. And it must have been of their opinion that football um, wasn't that important to them that night. I don't think it was really important to Juventus or Liverpool either. Um, there's obviously two ways to look at it. If they didn't play the game, would that cause further trouble? And then other people say, well, in playing the game, it was disrespectful to the people who had died. And I don't think anybody would ever want to be disrespectful to any people that come along innocently to watch a football match and lost their lives. So whatever they did, they couldn't win. There was no decision that was going to be the right decision. And once it was made, you just had to go along with it. But I don't think it was a game that was played... Um, with 100% concentration from either side. The hooliganism at Heysel Stadium resulted in all English clubs being banned from European football by UEFA for five years, and Liverpool's reputation lay in tatters. Amid the turmoil, there was to be a change of manager at Anfield after the tragic events in Brussels. Talk Sports Merseyside football reporter Graham Beercroft explains what was going on behind the scenes at Liverpool. Joe Fagan was in charge of Liverpool. Now, he'd won a treble in his first year, a fantastic treble, but he wasn't happy with it. He was going to uh, give up the management and that Kenny Dalglish was going to take over as player manager after this European Cup final at the Heysel Stadium. They were going to call a press conference and, and tell the world, uh, but what happened at the stadium meant that things changed very rapidly. And as Liverpool flew back into Liverpool Airport, uh, it was left to Joe Fagan uh, to talk to the press on the tarmac of the tragedy of what had happened. And Kenny's first task was to face the world's press a little bit later on as the player manager of Liverpool Football Club. He described that experience, by the way, as torture. In the next part of this special programme here on TalkSport, we'll find out how Kenny Daglish coped with the transition from being a senior player in the dressing room to a figurehead at Anfield.
You're listening to The King, a tribute to Kenny Douglas. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. You're listening to The King. A tribute to Kenny Douglas here on TalkSport with me, Stephen Gray. We've heard how Kenny became an instant Liverpool hero and continued to win trophy after trophy. Red's teammate Steve Nicholl says it felt natural for his fellow Scott to become the gaffer. He's such a strong personality that he may not have been called the manager before he was the manager, but... he was one of the voices that you listen for, and he was one of the guys who who would run the team and run the dressing room. You know, he was such an influence, uh, and so for him to go into the manager's chair, it didn't really make any difference. And the fact that he was still playing, we all held him with such high esteem that nothing changed. They go from uh, Shankly to Paisley, seamless. They go from Paisley to Fagan, seamless, and yet again. Fagan to Dalglish was was absolutely seamless as well. The new boss led by example, and nothing sums this up better than a brilliant finish against Chelsea in May 1986 that secured his Liverpool side's title at Stamford Bridge. I remember it well. Little flick over the top, little dink off the chest, and a beautiful, delicate little finish into the bottom left-hand corner. That was the Kenny Daglish I remember. And Daglish is in here. Yes! The player manager scores the goal that may edge Liverpool nearer to their 16th championship. 
and King Kenny's transition into management was complete a few weeks later at Wembley. The final whistle, the double belongs to Kenny Dalglish in Liverpool. Winners here in the FA Cup by three goals to one. The smiles are broad and the win was emphatic. Liverpool were denied another League and Cup double in 1988 by Wimbledon's shock FA Cup final victory. But the Reds midfielder, Ray Houghton, explains the manager's straightforward approach got the best out of the players. Well, Kenny was a fabulous manager as, as he was a player. You know, he's very astute, very knowledgeable, but he listened he, and, and he detailed to the other coaches what they should do. So Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans done the training. Kenny didn't really take part too much in that. But a great man-manager, vastly experienced, very knowledgeable on the game. And obviously what, what he achieved was simply breathtaking. But once again, a tragedy was to hold Kenny Daglish and Liverpool Football Club in their tracks. On the 15th of April 1989, Liverpool and their fans were once again one win away from another FA Cup final. But their dreams turned into the worst nightmare. The worst disaster in British sporting history happened at the start of the FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. Six minutes after kick-off, the crush began as thousands of Liverpool fans surged into a terrace already packed to bursting point. There are clearly a number of fans seriously injured. John Smith, the Liverpool chairman who witnessed the a dreadful scenes at Heysel four years ago. I have to say that this was not caused, as far as we know, by misbehaviour. The steel fences installed to contain potential violence became a death trap. 96 Liverpool fans lost their lives at Hillsborough. The youngest was just 10 years old. The whole of football was in shock. The whole city was in mourning. And there was anger too. Ray Houghton, who was playing for Liverpool that fateful day, explained what happened next. You know, I think what Kenny decided to do was to make sure that for all the funerals that someone from the club would be there to represent Liverpool Football Club. He felt that was a very important part to be played from the Liverpool players and the Liverpool management, and that's what happened. Uh, Kenny went to a lot, as did uh, most of the players, but it was such a difficult time and something that will live with me for the rest of my life and something that you think about virtually on a daily basis. Talk Sports Merseyside football reporter Graham Beercroft witnessed the lengths that Kenny Daglish went to in the aftermath of the tragedy. Kenny went to every single funeral that he could do to help every single family that he could do. His effort was monumental. It was, it was quite incredible. And there is no doubt that it took a toll on him, but he wouldn't in any way describe it as, as, as burdensome. He felt that that was his duty as the manager of Liverpool Football Club and also his duty as a caring human being, which he certainly was. Margaret Aspinall lost her son in the stadium disaster and became the chair of the Hillsborough Family Support Group. She campaigned tirelessly on behalf of all the victims of the tragedy and became friendly with the Daglishes and was struck by Kenny's great character. When you speak to Kenny, he's got this lovely rapport, and so is Marina. You know, you can't explain that. He knew exactly how all the families felt. Obviously, his son was there at that time as well, that he was concerned about. And he's always said, how lucky am I to have got my son back? 
and so many people lost theirs and the daughters and the wives and the husbands. He was just a comfort to talk to because there was no airs of graces about him. There's nothing like that with Kenny. What you see is what you get. And he's always said, even to this present day, anything at all that you need, that you think I can help with, I will do it. Here's how Kenny explained his approach to the horrific situation the club found itself in. It's tough for anybody that's close to it, but not as tough as what it is for the people who are actual relatives or, or loved ones, who, who they lost to. So, although we were a little bit removed, it was still an emotional time for everyone. And the aftermath of it, what it did show was Liverpool always prided itself on being a family club, and I think that really shone through then. I never even thought about anything other than just trying to help the people who who uh, were suffering more than, than I was at that particular time. Astonishingly, Liverpool were persuaded to play the abandoned FA Cup semi-final at Old Trafford just nine days after the Hillsborough tragedy. The Reds won 3-1 to go on to Wembley. And for someone who was reluctant to speak in front of the press, Dagley's found the words to fit the occasion perfectly. He said, If we have eased the burden of those bereaved, we will be happier for them than for ourselves. Everton fans stood shoulder to shoulder with Liverpool supporters over Hillsborough. Rivalry was put aside. So it was fitting that the Blues were Liverpool's opponents in the final at Wembley, which the Reds went on to win a very entertaining game, 3-2 in extra time. But it was more about the occasion than the result. Liverpool are FA Cup winners for the fourth time after the tribulations the commiseration of the last five weeks. There are smiles back on Liverpoolian faces. And even though there will be those who feel it's all a bit too soon, one day, sooner or later, this famous club had to get back on its feet and the players had to go back to do what they do best. Delight on the pitch turned to despair a few weeks later when Liverpool lost a league title to Arsenal in the most dramatic of fashions at Anfield. The Gunners defying all odds with a last gasp 2-0 victory to snatch the title away from the Reds. Liverpool bounced back in 1990 to claim the league title once again in the most emphatic of styles, which went on to make King Kenny the third most successful manager in Liverpool's history. Kenny Dalglish's third championship in only five years as manager. Kenny Dalglish has done it as usual his own way. Mostly his own emotions. We found out how Kenny Dalglish became a figurehead for the city of Liverpool. The success on the pitch and his outstanding leadership and humility of it. But the events of the Hillsborough Stadium tragedy caught up with the Scotsman. And in February 1991, Daglish felt he could no longer lead Liverpool FC to further glory. The Reds defender Steve Nicholl was in shock. So for me, he was probably the focal point of Liverpool, pretty much. If anything was good, he was involved in it. If anything was bad, he would sort it out. So the morning he told us that 
he was resigning. It was just like looking into a black hole. There's just a big space of what's going to happen now. As Liverpool tried to work out what to do next, Kenny rested up and waited for a fresh start. He didn't have to wait long. Multi-millionaire owner of Blackburn Rovers, Jack Walker, had a five-year plan to get the Lancashire side promoted to the Premier League and into Europe. He persuaded Kenny Daglish to be his manager. And after just eight months, Daglish took the hot seat at Ewood Park and brought Blackburn instant success. The referee looks at the watch again. That's it. Going up, going up. Having won the playoff final, Daglish was able to splash some cash on a top-class striker. Oh, fantastic goal from Alan Shearer. Shearer's there. Oh, what a goal by Blackburn. Shearer! The speciality from a very special player. With record signing Alan Shearer in the side and scoring goals for fun, Blackburn finished fourth and second in the first two seasons back at the top flight. Tim Flowers... Graham Lasol, David Batty and Chris Sutton had been added to the side and Blackburn Rovers defender Colin Hendry explains the tactics that Kenny deployed were pretty direct. You're not going to score goals from just outside your own box. You ain't going to score goals from the halfway line. It was to Stuart Ripley and Jason Wilcox. You don't have to beat your man, but you get the ball in the box. If one doesn't get the ball in the box, A, Alan Shearer, B, Chris Sutton will. If it's not in that area, we'll score goals. Score goals, we'll win games. We'd, we'd uh, have a standing joke about, what do you think today, lads? He said, well, clean sheet, cheer at score, and Blackburn won the game. And that was often the case. That, that happened quite a lot. The Daglish family founded the charity the Marina Daglish appeal in 2004 to raise money to help cancer sufferers and their families. Marina had successfully recovered from breast cancer the year before, and with the help of Kenny and their four children, the Daglish has raised over £10 million to improve cancer care across Merseyside. I spent some time on the Daglish ward. Both my mother and my auntie Vera suffered from cancer and they received treatment there. All the staff were fantastic and the people were so lovely and so welcoming and they just tried to put a smile on everyone's face. It's an amazing thing that the Daglish family has done. After a long period away from the game, King Kenny returned to Anfield in 2009. A year later, Rafa left Liverpool and Roy Hodgson was appointed the new manager, but was unsuccessful. The clamour for the King to return to his Anfield throne grew louder and louder and in January 2011, Daglish's second spell as manager of the Reds began. Obviously, taking aside your, your sympathy for somebody else losing mm. the job, for me to walk back in, it was, I was very fortunate because I don't know anybody that's been asked to go back. And to go back to somewhere that, that has represented so much and, and played such a huge part, not just in my life, but the whole family's life, it was... I, it, it felt... Very proud. He sold Fernando Torres for £50 million to Chelsea 
and brought in Luis Suarez and Andy Carroll for a combined fee of almost £58 million. In February 2012, Liverpool won their first trophy for six seasons with a League Cup victory. And it's sheer joy for Liverpool who are bringing a trophy back to that Anfield cabinet at long last again. The Reds reached the FA Cup final a few months later, but lost to Chelsea. But the league form was a big problem for Liverpool, failing to make the Champions League for the third year in a row. Danny Murphy believes that there was no chance that Daglish would have ever be able to repeat the success that he had at Liverpool a second time round. He came in at a time where the club was in a bit of trouble, really. It needed some guidance and some stability. And with Kenny at the helm, you, you were automatically getting the fans back on board, which was imperative at the time. Um, and I think he did reasonably well with, with what he had, really. He was he was responsible for bringing in Suarez, which was a masterstroke, of course. Um, but but ultimately, he didn't have enough funds and enough time to to revolutionise the the team and the squad. Um, and you know, it it didn't go as well for him as his previous tenure. But I still think he did a good job in 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 what he had to deal with at the time, and and it gave everyone a feel good factor again around the club, which was important at the time. What would you think if I sang out a tune? After an 8th place finish in the Premier League, Daglish was sacked by the American owners in 2012. Liverpool, to their credit, made Kenny a non-executive director and in 2017 made sure he would be a part of the furniture forever at Anfield. We are here and gathered to celebrate Kenny Dalglish, a man who has given so much to Liverpool Football Club as a player, as a manager, and most recently as a non-executive director. This is a special day. In 2017, Liverpool renamed the centenary stand at Anfield in his honour. And a year later, King Kenny became Sir Kenny. The knighthood was awarded for services to football, charity, and to the city of Liverpool. A delighted Daglish was as modest as ever about his accolade. It's a great reflection on every every part of your life. Uh, when you were young, growing up with your mum and dad, and the the way that they set you up, and the morals and the ethics, and the way to behave that they did, uh, and then you move on to your own family through the football and family as well. I've just been fortunate that I've come across an awful lot of great people when I played football. We played when it was the two most successful clubs in British football at the time. Obviously with the charity as well, with Marina in later years. Uh, that's been fantastically well received. It's the same reason that, that everything that has been successful is because uh, there's a lot of other people made a huge contribution. And if we've helped somebody, then I think that's what we're supposed to do. Kenny Daglish was not only a remarkable footballer and a remarkable manager, he was also a remarkable man. To me, he was and always will be that magnificent number seven that glided down the wing and cut inside and chipped the ball over the top and spun on a sixpence and 
smacked it in the top corner or just gracefully glided past defenders. He was my first true hero. He will always be the king. I'm Stephen Graham, and thank you for listening to this Talk Sport special. The King, a tribute to Kenny Daglish. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.